that an unwise man will never learn from his mistakes. A smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from other mistakes. So you're exactly right. And I can say the number one problem with aquaponics that I've seen, and it's still the same problem today, is impatience. Ah. We get too excited, and we see something growing, and we we want to start loading up the fish densities, and we want to start doing all this stuff. And it's a matter of sitting back, and if we can have enough patience to allow the system to mature, we'll reap a whole lot more benefits from it without the discouragement of failures. Right. So... In your, in your opinion, about how long how long do you think it actually takes for a system to get mature? Well, that depends on what you start with. If you're starting with some sort of way to inoculate the system with the bacterial uh, colony, it'll go a lot faster. But fish are these wonderful little packages that come with that on them. That's part of the slime layer of them. And so just putting fish into a system will eventually establish the bacterial colonies you need for the nitrification. The right. um, It can take upwards, it can take as much as six weeks, <clears throat> but usually what happens is the, um, you know, things can go along a little little sooner than that. The key, the key there is not to load your fish up too heavy, too high a stocking density, and let your optimism outrun your experience. <laughs> that's that's a good word right there. Yeah. And um, so you know, with the uh, with you know the flip side of that question, what do you think you know would be the greatest advice that you can give to make you know someone actually be successful in their aquaponics and you know actually continue to use this technology for for years to come, you know, and in, in, in what they're doing. Well, I've been doing it for 10 years now, uh, actually a little longer than 10 years. Um, And I think the real key there, this was advice that was given to me, and this is advice that I think is well spent, and that is start small. You know, do a small thing, be successful at it, and build your larger thing off of success. I use this model with teaching people how to do this in third world countries and things. I say, listen, right now, don't try to feed the world. Start small, mm-hmm. learn how to grow a few things, keep the fish, and and prove for yourself just how stable these systems are once they once the, um, the all the organisms in it have colonized. I've just found that aquaponics is one of the most bulletproof ways to grow. Uh, vegetables once the system has stabilized. Uh, you just right. about you'd have to throw a toxin in to kill it. <laughs> and 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 people doing this in the third world they've they've been able to do this successfully as well. Sure. I get emails from all over the world where people have downloaded the barrel ponics manual, built the system, have adapted the uh design to the materials that they have on hand. And, um, yeah, I've personally built systems in, um, you know, in Africa. I built them in the Philippines and uh, built one outside of Beirut, Lebanon. Uh spent wow. two weeks camping in the woods there doing that project. Uh, wow. Yeah, built, uh, built systems in Guatemala, 
in China, and uh, and like I say, I get emails from people all over the world that have built them, and uh, it's kind of cool when you see people put take adaptations of what you've shared with them, and they're doing something to help their families. Right, exactly. You know, um, I was thinking about we have uh, we have a group that we're working with in, you know, I believe it's Uganda, and. Mm-hmm. They they lost their they lost their farmable land, and you know the whole time I'm thinking you know they're trying to find land that they can farm. The whole time I'm thinking, you know, if you got unfarmable land, we could still do a farm on it. <laughs> well, not only can we still do a farm, but we can replenish the soil that's been pulled away from. See, oh, I, yeah. I believe that aquaponics is a wonderful thing, but it can be a little technology heavy for some mm-hmm. places world, uh, making it out of reach for locals. But if we can get it into places, and if you're talking Uganda along around the uh, Lake Victoria region? Um, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure where it is. It, the name of the, the village we're working with is called Kalanga. I'm not exactly okay. sure where it's at. Well, I'm, I'm familiar with the Kenya side of the lake. Actually, at one point, I owned property, a lakefront acre on in Kenya on Lake Victoria was actually going to build a house there um, wow. but that whole thing fell through but if it's around the lake region I'm very familiar with the dynamic that's caused the soil de- degradation in the first place and uh, and it's systemic around the whole entire lake and mm. one of the one of the big issues of well the reason their soils are in poor shape anyway is not because of lack of fertility because 30 years ago that area most of that area was a lush forest. Um, mm-hmm. It's been deforested because of charcoal manufacture, and basically people have mismanaged it to the point that erosion has just washed the topsoil off into the lake. Wow. And if and well, that's actually created a situation where the nutrient load is washed off into the lake, creating the algae blooms and the big mats of water hyacinth. If people would bring that water hyacinth back up, compost that out, in the meantime, use a technique like aquaponics to grow vegetation, take the excess vegetation, and compost that out. You could actually, over time, restore the soils. Wow. So just taking um, ex- excess fruits, vegetables, and fish waste and putting it into the soil? Sure. Sure. Wow. See, and the thing about aquaponics system, you know, you feed the fish, the fish feed the plants, uh, or the fish feed the bacteria, the bacteria feed the plants, the plants clean the water for the fish. But the, the extra thing that's coming in there is that basically that system sequesters solar energy, sunshine. And when the plants photosynthesis use that sunshine to make sugars and structures in those plants, those are the components that are needed for good, healthy humus and soil. Right, right. And I've never, I've never heard that, but that, that is totally true. That's the permaculture pr- principle, right? Sure. It's, it's just nature. It's, using, yeah. it's, it's basically using nature at its finest. And really, honestly, aquaponics, everybody thinks it's such a new thing, and it is a big buzzword nowadays and all of that. But what you've done is you're just simply making the conditions for a natural process to occur. And, right. And that's the beauty of the system. I, while a lot of people hesitate to put the label organic or something like that on it, 
honestly, at the end of the day, I don't know how much more natural you can get reaping the benefits of the interaction of living organisms for your food. Um, mm-hmm. That's a to me that's that's so much better than uh, you know an industrial mentality or a synthetic type of inputs for the things that you want to call food. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's um. Let's talk about your your barrel ponics manual. How how did you come about the you know the the idea of using barrels the way the the way you do in the barrel ponics manual and you know and and then what made you want to put it actually into a, a manual and and uh, and give it away rather than you know selling it like a lot a lot of the other uh, systems are doing. Sure. Um, well, as I said, I did a lot of research for a couple of years uh, before we actually built a system. Uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to a um, aquaponics conference in Bryson City, North Carolina, and that was in 2003, and um, it was like spring of 2003. I went, we all went there, and we looked at what other people were doing. What uh, the fellow that was running that basically set up the whole conference, his name was Charlie Johnson with Aquaculture International. Uh, he had done some aquaculture things as far as trout farms and things like that in North Carolina. But there was a gentleman there that really grabbed my attention, and his name was Frank McNeely. And um, he had built an aquaponic system out of salvaged bathtubs that he got from a hotel renovation that someone had just given him. I mean, talk about ideal. You know, it's kind of weird because there's a few people who think it's, kind of a current recent thing to use bathtubs and aquaponic system, but that's been going on for over a decade. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, so at any rate, Frank and I, you know, kind of struck up a conversation while I was there, and his whole approach to using salvage things, found things, and that sort of thing to build a system really appealed to me because at the time, just like now, aquaponic systems, unfortunately, are a – thing for the wealthy, because if you go buy a complete system, I mean, tiny little systems, only seven square feet, costing $1,500, give me a right. break. Um, right. You know, that's just that's just not solving the problem. So on our way back home, I was trying to think, okay, how could I build this system? And, and mind you, at the time, I, my primary career had been in boat repair. And I was working on building a plug to make a mold for a big fiberglass trough, kind of like they were doing, everybody else was doing, but I didn't have the money to spend on that, so I thought I'd just build my own. But I had recently got some a bunch of plastic barrels my dad had brought to me, and uh, on the way home, we were thinking, well, how can we apply this idea of using, like, bathtubs or found materials to what we have on hand. And I'm thinking, you know, I have about 40 or 50 plastic barrels here right now. How can we use those? Well, by the time I got home, I'd already figured out how to cut them, how to, uh, how to plumb them to make them work. And basically, from a concept theoretical point of view, barrel ponics was born then. Right. So I built my first system uh, later on that year because it's peak of the system. So September, 
Um, August, September, I started construction on a system that was 36 barrel halves with a thousand gallon tank. Wow. And yeah, it's kind of a, it was kind of a big system to start off with, you know. Um, but there again, I let my optimism outrun my experience, and which <laughs> brought me to the need to gain some experience. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, basically when we put that system together and got it and basically did an S&S version, which was two pumps, a lower sump, floats, uh, float switches to turn it on and off and all this kind of stuff. It worked, but not to the level that I would like it to work because we we're always having to fuss with it. Mm-hmm. And about that time was my first time to ever go overseas and see real live poverty for the first time in my life. I had, uh, and I'm not talking the kind of poverty that says you drive a 20-year-old car. I'm talking right. the kind of poverty, the kind of poverty that I saw there that just broke my heart was. Uh, 11, 12-year-old girl that the only clothes she had to wear was a blue pair of panties. That's Mm. it. That's it. That was all she wore the whole time I was there with the team I was there. And and I thought to myself, if these people knew half of what I know, it could change their lives as far as information is concerned. But it's cut off from them. Um, and then when I got into doing aquaponics, I said, my goodness, if I, could, if I can grow vegetables in rocks, there's no reason any child in the world should ever go to bed hungry. Mm. And so I started looking for a way to reduce the technology in aquaponics because at the time the way to control the flood and drain was done by float switches, timers, microprocessors, all of these things that nobody – out in the bush in Africa would ever have a chance of doing anything with. Right, exactly. And my friend uh, Frank McNeely that I I mentioned to you, he had a little manual on how to build a little desktop aquaponics system, and what he used was a toilet float with a a toilet valve attached to the chain. So when the water came up, the float would raise the valve to open the valve and create a flood cycle. And the way you adjusted that was you just adjusted the length of the chain for the volume of water you wanted it to empty, and that's how it worked. Well, that works fine under high-flow situations, um, but on low-flow situations, it would raise the valve just enough to let the water through but not completely cycle. It would just sit there and trickle. And I was looking for a way to build a system as well, at the time when I was doing this, there wasn't any home-sized systems. Everything was larger. That's why I built that 36-barrel unit. You either had the little 20-gallon fish tank on top of a desk with some lettuces growing in a piece of foam on top, or you had these nodes, these bigger nodes of more commercially-sized things. So I said, you know, we need something small enough that people can afford to build that is big enough to actually grow a good little bit of stuff to give them some encouragement, but it'd be a good training tool as well for their next step on. Right. And so while trying to work out this whole flood tank system and what was going on, and, you know, I'm going to say something here. I hope it's not offense to anyone, but I am a person that believes and have faith in my creator. And, um, and so I just prayed to him when I was running into this problem. I said, Lord, 
You are the creator of all things. By wisdom, you establish this earth. You know what's in my heart because you put it there. I need some help with the design. Within 45 minutes, the the whole mechanism of using a siphon-forced counterweight to pick the valve up uh, was done. I had the prototype working, and I'd been working on it for hours up until that time. So I go home yeah. that night, and uh, it's about 11 o'clock at night. My wife's already gone to bed. She wakes up around 3, and I'm still awake. And she says, why are you still awake? And I said, well, I'm the little boy. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm a little boy with the fishes and loaves, and the father has just showed me how to feed millions. And I, needless to say, I got no sleep that night. Right, yeah. So that's the motivation behind writing the manual in the way that I did. In 2005, I released it step-by-step, um, step, photo per step. The idea was that even someone in the bush with a fifth-grade reading education would be able to understand this. Uh-huh. And, and we have had that kind of thing going on. And that is the reason why I have to give that manual away free. Uh-huh. Um, because if this technology is supposed to be used to feed people, how can we honestly and justly expect a man who's so poor that he's having a hard time putting food on the table, how can we withhold from him the information that could allow him to live in abundance with his family? Right. It's obscene. And, yeah. you know, and I... I'm not going to be a downer on everyone else that's selling information and stuff. I will say this. It enrages me when I see people selling my information, when they copy uh-huh. and paste information, put it in their manuals, and sell it. It just really is frustrating. There's there's one in particular that's doing that right now, and he's under this backyard liberty nonsense, and uh-huh. it's very frustrating to me because he's selling information that was given to him free that I actually paid to develop. But right, yeah. um, but those kind of things, you know, my, my feeling is I have no problem making money on aquaponics. Um, I'm hoping to uh, change what I'm doing a bit with this new product that we've got out now called My Aqua Farm. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, even on the My Aqua Farm webpage, you can still download the manual, the barrel ponics manual, for free. Yeah, right. um, my feeling is if we're going to solve food security, it's going to come by local producers producing locally. And we have to decentralize the food production in this country and in the world because centralized food production just puts too much power in too few hands. Yeah, yeah. You know, Am one I of the questions I had. This is just this is an off the wall question, just because I've been I've been thinking about it. Um, uh-huh. You know, when you're working with people in you know, say in Africa or Philippines and you know anywhere like that, where where do you where do you where do you have them get seeds from to start in their aquaponics? Seeds? Yeah. Oh, seeds are easy to get. Anywhere people are growing food, there's seeds available. Right. Now, they may not be uh, organic, heirloom, you know, all of the ideals that we like to promote. 
Um, but they are food. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. what I try to do is encourage people to grow uh, things that are specifically tailored to their um, their environment. So I try not to bring seeds in from long distances or anything like that and pretty much rely on what is there. Yeah. Uh, but certain people, you know, certain cultures get used to eating a certain thing, and they're not going to branch out a lot on their what they're willing to try. This is just too yeah. much at risk. No, that's good to know. I, I had someone uh, invite me to go to Cuba to teach them aquaponics, and um, I said, well, you know, what's the situation? Can they get seeds there? And they said, no, man, this is Cuba. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking... <laughs> They gotta be able to get seeds from somewhere, you know. Like at least, yeah, they're uh, growing. <laughs> yeah, they're growing something. <laughs> but um, all right, no, that you know, sorry for that that uh, that uh, rabbit trail there. I was just wondering what, what oh, you that's... found. So, so um, the other question I want to ask you about is um, I saw on one of your websites you're you're kind of doing a um, uh, a system that's running off of uh, like a biodiesel and. Um, uh, leftover, you know, expired vegetable oil or something like that. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what you're doing there? Well, that's that's a thing that I did in the past. I had a vegetable fueled, a uh, veg oil fueled generator that I built here. I took a uh, 24 horse single cylinder Chinese diesel, um, coupled it to a 16 kilowatt um, generator head. I actually, because of my background in boat and yacht repair, I have a pretty good understanding on how to get engines to do what they need to do. So I had safety systems set up on there. So if it went low oil, it would shut itself down. If it overheated, it would shut itself down. All of those kind of things. So I had little backup systems there. It was set up on a thermosiphon cooling system, which I used to preheat the... uh, oil that I used to go into the um, the generator. And what I would do, I'd start the generator in the mornings about 7 o'clock on uh, diesel fuel, let the engine warm up there for about an hour, and then I'd switch over and run veg oil all day till about 10 o'clock at night, and then uh, switch on over to diesel fuel, clear the thing out. So by about 11 o'clock at night, I'd shut the generator off and go back on grid. Unfortunately, that system, um, I ran that generator every day for a year. And I can tell you that uh, while vegetable oil is a wonderful and cool thing, it's not necessarily as clean and easy on the engines as we might like. All right. Yeah, I had some problems with things coking up, getting really gunked up. Some engine failures started occurring because of of uh, long-term veg oil use. Mm. Yeah, I mean, but other than that, it worked it, fine. It was it was great uh, while it was going and all that it was kind of kind of cool and exciting. Um, you know, to be just the thought of being able to run your place on vegetable oil was kind of kind of nifty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it seems like, it seems like a, it was a bit of work, though, as well, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, any alternative energy of any kind um, has its own quirks. Let's just put it that way. 
Some right. of it requires some extra, you know, extra physical input. Some of it requires changing the way you do things. Like, say, solar doesn't have so much of a physical input. But you've got some maintenance aspects to things. You, One thing I will tell you that you get very conscious of running any kind of alternative energy, you become very conscious of your energy usage. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing with the generator is any time there's a load comes on it, you know immediate because you can hear the engine pulling hard, smoke start blowing out the exhaust pipe, uh, and you're going, what in the world's going on there? And what I found was kind of interesting. This is something people people probably don't realize, but one of the biggest culprits around here was the microwave. Mm. I don't think folks have any idea just how much those things pull when they first are turned on. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, we use That's it so commonly and just, just don't even think about it. We punch a button and away it goes, but... I tell you, there's quite a bit of energy gets used in a microwave in the course of a day. <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, we went like a year without a microwave, and we're wondering how how we were how we were surviving, <laughs> but we did it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've sworn that as soon as this one croaks, it's the last one I'll ever own. Yeah, yeah. We've been so, um, we've been we've been piece by piece stepping off the grid here on our farm. Yeah. Yeah, and how how's that going? It's going well. About two years ago, I built a wood-fired water heater, and we've been using salvaged pallets to because uh, it's free wood basically uh, to heat our hot water here. And immediately when I started using that and turned the electric one off, we uh, we saved seventy-five dollars a month on our electric bill. Wow. Yeah. And so we heat the house with wood now, and you know, bit by bit, piece by piece, we're starting to uh, to pull off the grid here. Wow, that's great! And, and yeah. what are you guys doing? Um, what are you guys doing on your uh, on your your farm now? Um, are you going commercial? I think I saw one one um, picture video where you had like it looked like almost like twenty IBCs. In a, in a row. Um, yeah, well, what those are, farm. yeah, I've got about 60 IBC totes here on my place right now, and I primarily use them for, um, I've got 40 of them outside that are around our garden, uh, soil garden project, and that's, there's two reasons for that. One is I put my breeder pairs in there, or breeder groups, in there for tilapia, and we breed tilapia here and produce our own fingerlings and and fingerlings for sale when when people want to purchase them. Um, mm-hmm. We also put the tanks around that garden area for two reasons. One was to keep the deer out of it. Uh, we've got a lot of deer here, and they literally will eat you to the ground. Um, mm-hmm. And two, we found out that the deer really don't like the sound of the tilapia scraping the sidewalls, the uh, oh. algae off the walls. So, yeah, and they do that in the middle of the night too. So it kind of freaks the deer out when there are these weird little noises that they don't really know what they are. So they stay away. <laughs> um, well, there you go. And then we also do a thing because you know, there again, my heart's desire is to help people feed their children, and. Aquaponics, obviously, even in its most economic form, 
is still out of reach of the vast majority of the poor. So my desire was, okay, how can we how can we utilize the benefits of aquaculture with agriculture so that some widow in the bush can actually do something that's going to improve her yields? And at that same aquaponics conference back in 2003 that I went to, there was another gentleman there by the name of Mel Landers and had been doing work with uh, um, the poor in Nicaragua. And he was doing a system that he called fertigation. And I, uh, I adopted a, a variation of that here. And basically what we do is low-density aquaculture. So I've got like five fish, five or six fish in each one of these IBC totes. I don't use any, um, any aeration or anything like that. It's not needed all year long. And basically utilize these as breeder tanks. And so what we do is we, we irrigate the plants in the garden with water from those fish tanks and uh, then replenish it as needed. And wow. it works beautiful. Yeah, it works beautiful. Wow. So there's no power consumption whatsoever. Honestly, I wouldn't even need to feed these fish if I was going to just utilize the nitrates that they produce because the algae that develops in these tanks will keep the fish fed but I do feed them to keep them in prime uh, breeding condition. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's like uh, you just use the normal drain on the IBC and just drain it out into the into the soil. Actually, my wife. Uh, I'm married to one of the most incredible women in the world. Um, she basically took on the role as a widow woman, and she took an old rusty number ten can, and the first year or first pretty much most of the season, uh, she would dip the water out of the tank with the with that can and water the plants back and forth, back and forth, just like someone would have to do in a developing country. Right. And um and that's how she did it. And then and then basically um what we started doing after that, we'd hook just a little pump up with a hose. That way she could take the hose anywhere she wanted and water the plants. Right. Well, that's great, man. I, that is actually a great idea. I, I, I love that that <laughs> that you could do something like that. I didn't know that would work. Oh yeah, it works beautiful because you've got all these nice nutrients. You think about it. That water gets gets green with the algae, and so you've got you've got good nitrate buildup. You've got uh, biomass in there from the algae and everything else. And when you when you water your plants with that, there's just a whole lot of good stuff there that can be utilized and it not only does it help the plants grow but it also helps them helps the microbes in the soil uh with the th- uh, with the nutrients that they need to establish a nice healthy environment yeah yeah it's funny i think i was looking at your your um i thought it was your face your facebook your facebook page and you, you had a picture of a tree growing out the side of a concrete like a bridge or something Yes, I actually took that photo on my second trip to Togo, West Africa. And, uh, yeah, that was interesting because, uh, you know, anybody who thinks that aquaponics is an unnatural thing or that growing plants in rocks is an unnatural thing, I saw this tree growing out of a concrete bridge, and I was like, oh, my goodness, i got to snap that shot, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's it's pretty it's pretty uh, unbelievable. It's just seriously just growing out the side of a concrete bridge. Yeah, and it's a decent yeah. tree too. 
Well, yeah, and that's what's and speaking of trees, that's what's kind of wild because one of the first things I did when I started growing aquaponically, um, I grew some papaya trees. I had brought some seed um, from one of my travels and uh, threw it in the uh, uh, threw it in the gravel on April fifteenth of I believe it was two thousand four was when I did that and. Um, by September, I had fruit on the trees hmm. in a half barrel of gravel. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that, was a, that was a papaya? That was papaya, yes. I was growing papaya was, back in 2004. Man, my, uh, I have a friend here. His, his mom is turning 100 uh, this next month, and she swears her secret is because she eats a have to papaya every day. <laughs> well, there might be something to that. Who knows? <laughs> One thing's for so sure, it's, it's not a thing to eat. It's not like having to eat half a pound of garlic every day. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of tastes good. Yeah. Yeah, I could do that <laughs> papaya thing. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, um, tell people a little bit about what you're doing with the... Um, with your uh, the the aqua farm and and if people wanted to get in contact with you if you have a website or an email or something like that I'd sure. love to give well, away it's for interesting because in the course of my travels I met a businessman in, out of Hong Kong who has a manufacturing facility in China and he actually came to my house and he said Travis how can we build a system that can be shipped. Uh, that is affordable for people and all of that. So he put me on trying to come up with something. And he said, listen, we'll manufacture it if you can come up with the design that we can we can do. So I started looking at a few things, and I built a prototype here that literally could be shipped flat in a box. And, um, and so we, uh, I, I ran the prototype here for a year, um, Proved. I'm I'm one of those. I'm so many people nowadays in the aquaponics thing get an idea, they jump out there and start selling it before they've actually even proved it. Mm-hmm. I'm really the opposite. I'm like, listen, if someone's going to spend their hard-earned cash on something that I put my name behind, I want to make sure that it's going to pr- it's going to work for them. It's going to be a good product for them. So we we built the system here. We tested it. Everything went well. It has my my um, what I call the flood valve mechanism in it. But we've dressed it up. It's uh, the mechanism that actually pulls the valve open is a man in a fishing boat. So it's like when it starts to cycle, it's like he gets a bite on his fishing rod, and when it cycles, the like the fish pulls him forward. It's really cool. Yeah, that's but, cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But this system, this first one, and this is the first of a series that we're going to be producing as this thing develops, is it's got 16 square feet of grow bed space. It's got a 168-gallon fish tank. It sits on about four feet by six-foot footprint, so it doesn't take up much room. It only consumes 25 watts of power to operate. And we are um, selling it right now for $849 plus shipping. Yeah. Uh, As far as aquaponic systems go, that's about a third to a half of what 
most people out there that same size are producing. And this is not some flimsy little, you know, plastic tubs on a lightweight frame type program. This is a very, very well-built, substantial uh, system. Um, you know, it's something that I, I just have a real aversion to putting anything flimsy out there, especially when you've got, you know, a ton of gravel sitting in the thing. Just right, doesn't yeah, make you, much You have thousands of pounds of gravel and water. You know, you don't want the thing to just be breaking. That's right. That's right. And two, and my thing is, let's build a, let's build a system that will be here 10, 20 years from now, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and that's that's what I believe we've accomplished. That it's a it's a cool system. It looks good. It's called My Aqua Farm, and you can find it at www.myaquafarm.com. Uh, you can order them there. You can read about it. I've got information in the uh, basics um, section of the website. There's all kinds of information there on aquaponics and that sort of thing. Um, and we're committed to producing a high-quality product for people to enjoy and uh, and produce some food for their babies. Right, yeah. Well, that's great. And, of course, uh, check them out on Facebook. I think it's facebook.com slash myarcofarm there as well, right? Yep, that's correct. You can look, yeah, you can do the, uh, go to My Aqua Farm on Facebook. And please, you know, um, like us and keep track of what's going on. We also post pictures of what we do on our farm, our everyday life around here. Uh, my wife has taken on, taken in hand to be the uh, uh, the one who keeps all of that up and is taking pictures of things and all that. So there's there's other aspects of what we do on a daily life here between our poultry and aquaculture and general projects and things that I do. We try to keep people informed. No, that's great. That's great. Well, hey, man, I, I really appreciate you talking with me today. Um, looking forward to see what you're doing. And, and, again, really appreciate you releasing the Barrel Ponics Manual. I think it's been a, a great service around the world. Well, I tell you, I'm, it's been an honor to talk with you as well. I appreciate the opportunity to share with others what we're doing. And, you know, it's like go out and grow stuff. <laughs> you go know? grow some stuff. That's right. That's right. Go grow some stuff. Appreciate it, and I look forward to talking with you again. You too. Anytime. All right. All right. You have a good one. Have a blessed day. If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or go to www.aquaponicsforeveryone.com or like us at facebook.com slash aquaponicsforeveryone.